Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's sermon podcast. As we approach God's Word, let's take a prayerful breath. Breathe in, breathe out. Listen to God's Word this day. Good morning, church. My name is Bob Martin. I am an elder and a leader of the uh, Stephen Ministry. Please join me in the unison prayer for illumination. Loving God, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. So today we pray, help us to truly hear it. Allow your words to sink deep into the marrow of our bones. Allow your words to lift our hearts in hope that we might feel one day closer to your promised day. With hopeful and grateful hearts, we pray. Amen. We turn to God's word this morning. Our scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Let us listen to God's word. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let me ask you a question. How do you picture Mary, the mother of Jesus? Who is she for you? For some Christians, Mary is the perfect woman, almost not fully human in her perfection, Some artists paint her with beautiful and serene faces. In classic Roman Catholic theology, Mary gradually gained supernatural qualities. For example, she was declared to have remained perpetually a virgin and sinless. Some in the Roman Catholic tradition even declare that she did not die a natural death, but was taken directly from earth to heaven. She's a great intermediary to whom some Catholics feel most comfortable praying, Hail Mary, full of grace. Partly in response to all that veneration of Mary, Protestant Christians have tended to downplay her role so that she can really be of little significance in church lives sometimes, except as a woman who gives birth to Jesus. She's a part of Christmas pageants, but rarely does she have a speaking part although she did in last week's Christmas pageant here. 
He's one of the fixtures in our nativity scenes, as we will see at 4 p.m., a mute supporting character looking on the Christ child in the manger. Who was this woman living in first century Palestine who bore Jesus, who bore the Messiah? Who is this Mary for us as we prepare to celebrate Jesus' birth tonight and tomorrow? First, forget those paintings depicting an older, wiser woman full of serenity, seemingly untouched by everyday life. What we know from Luke is that she is young, a teenager, perhaps 15. To be sure, in a land and time when the average lifespan was 35, you were older at 15 than you would be now, but still, she was a teenager, young and untested. And she's a peasant, not of royal or aristocratic blood. You would not have had servants, far from being able to be untouched by everyday life. Her life would have been much like the lives of the poor we encounter today around the world. Second, she's a young woman of God, a teenage peasant living as a disciple, living out her faith. As one seminary teacher has observed, both worship of Mary and reducing Mary to her biological role miss out on something very important. Mary's example is a person of faith, struggling with the daily demands of life, even more with the demand placed on her when the angel Gabriel returns. Far from being an extraordinary saint on the one hand or a passive and mute bystander on the other hand, Mary here in Luke 1 gives us an ordinary, living, breathing disciple to emulate. Recall earlier in Luke 1 when Gabriel visits Mary, she's fearful so that, Abra- so that Gabriel first has to say, do not be afraid. And then when Gabriel announces to her that she is to be the mother of the longed-for Messiah, Mary understandably struggles to take it all in. How can this be? Gabriel responds with what someone has called the creed of faith. That's the foundation for all of our creeds of faith. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary ponders these words, and then she gives an unequivocal yes to God's call. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. She says yes to God, even though she doesn't know what lies ahead. She says yes to to God, even though it could mean wagging fingers and gossiping neighbors, since she's to become pregnant. Who knows what Joseph will do? She says yes to God so that she can be part of God's plan for the word to become flesh, for the light to come into the world, the light that no darkness can overcome. Who is Mary? Mary is a young peasant, a disciple of God, willing to commit herself to God and God's plans. And then there's at least one more thing that we can say about Mary based on the passage that Bob just read, the passage we just heard, something that few people acknowledge about Mary. She is also a prophet, a woman who later, after Gabriel, 
Later, she'll visit her cousin Elizabeth, and she'll sing about what God is doing with her and with the world. She sings a song in this passage we just heard about how God is turning an upside-down world right side up. She sings a song that calls out the rich and the powerful and lifts up the lowly. Here again, some of the words of Mary's song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. For the mighty one has done great things for me. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things sent the rich away empty. Whatever words you use to describe Mary, I hope after this morning you never use the words meek and mild. They don't fit with what comes in the song she sings. If you don't think that these are radical, prophetic words, consider this. In the 1960s, in a southern county seat, in the midst of the civil rights struggle to break down the barriers of Southern racial segregation, a young man was arrested for passing out sheets with words on them. He was arrested for insurrection, sent to jail. And then the authorities had to release him once they learned that the words on the sheet that he was passing out were these words from Luke's gospel. Or consider this, the government of Guatemala at one time, a government that proclaims it was a Roman Catholic nation, banned public recitation of Mary's song because it was deemed to be too subversive. Indeed, we often skip over Mary's song here in chapter 1, skipping right from Gabriel's announcement that she, might, that she will be pregnant to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. I don't know about you, but I've yet to hear those lyrics in the store when I was shopping this Christmas season, and I haven't seen them on any Spotify Christmas list. Roasting chestnuts, red-nosed reindeer, white Christmases. We find a place for these words at Christmas, but Mary's song? We don't seem to find a place for those words. And it's not just true in popular culture. Consider the contemporary worship song, My Soul Magnifies the Lord, by the popular Christian songwriter, Chris Tomlin. The chorus refrain for the song comes directly from Mary's song in Luke 1, but only part of it. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. He's done great things for me. Great things for me. We sing in that refrain. But then the song skips right on to chapter 2 and the story of Jesus' birth. Chris Tomlin may have had very good musical reasons for writing this song that way, but it's not the way that Mary sings her song. She does sing about what God has done for her personally and individually, but then, unlike Chris Tomlin's song, she sings about what God is doing for the hungry and powerless, how God is shaking up the world. The world Mary lives in certainly needs to be shaken up. Tyrants sit on thrones in first century Palestine. 
Roman emperors and military leaders rule the Israelites with casual brutality. Herod thinks nothing of slaughtering innocent children, lest one be born who could challenge him. Hunger and poverty are everyday realities for Mary's people. And now she and Joseph are forced to travel to Bethlehem because of a Roman edict issued to squeeze a little bit more money out of the land and out of the people. Yet, despite all of that, Mary can sing with joy. Despite all of that, she can call herself blessed. Despite all of that, she can magnify the Lord and rejoice in God. How is that possible? Because she trusts God, and that fills her with hope. Indeed, Mary's hope is not just grounded in what God will do. That faith is grounded in what God is already doing. Did you notice the verb tense in the song? It's not the future tense. It is the past tense. God has looked with favor on the lowliness of Mary. God has scattered the proud in their thoughts and the thoughts of their hearts. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Mary can sing in the past tense, as the biblical scholar Fred Craddock writes, because of her confidence and certainty that God does set things right. She can sing in the past tense because the reversal where the powerful and rich will exchange places with the powerless and poor has already begun. God's choice of Mary is evidence of it. She can sing a song about being blessed because God's quiet revolution has started and she, a lowly peasant girl, has a part to play. She is co-conspirator of God's revolution. All things are possible with God, as the angel Gabriel declared, even God, even God turning an upside-down world right-side up, even a young peasant girl bearing the Son of God. For all the differences that have taken place in the past 2,000 years, our world really, in many ways, is not that different from Mary's world, is it? There are too many people in the world today who are hungry and poor, who live without the conveniences that you and I take for granted. There are too many tyrants, too many whose greed or paranoia or cruelty cause them to start wars where others pay the cost. There are too many people whose bellies and wallets are full, but their hearts are empty. There are too many people who look with scorn and judgment upon those who are struggling or living on the margins of society. Just as in Mary's day, this world can seem dark. Just as in Mary's day, we may look around and say, how long, O oh Lord? Just as in Mary's day, we can feel weary. How does a weary world rejoice? Mary shows us by singing songs and stories of hope. Hope grounded not, in just, not just in what God will do, but hope grounded in what God has already started doing. Songs of the quiet revolution going on now. 
one that will be completed in God's final judgment, but one that has already started. How can we rejoice and be blessed? In addition to singing songs and telling stories of hope to remind us of what God is doing and will be doing, we can offer ourselves like Mary to God's service. Let it be with me. We can each say, according to your word. By God's grace and power, we too can be co-conspirators in the revolution. By Desmond Tutu in the 1980s, when apartheid was still the law in South Africa and Nelson Mandela was still a prisoner, Tutu stood with a crowd one afternoon outside the South African embassy in Washington, D.C., and with the help of a megaphone, shouted to the people inside that building, those of you inside, are you listening? Do you hear me? You have already been defeated. Out here, we know that the struggle for black freedom and liberation will turn out, for God is on the side of the oppressed. Only you and the inside have not realized it. We outsiders have, and we know the future. That future came. We can be co-conspirators in God's quiet revolution, like the hand-in-hand -hand schools and communities, which even today in Israel bring Jews and Arabs to learn and live together. Instruction is offered in both Arabic and Hebrew. We, can, can, I mean, I just can't imagine what it's been like for those students in that school since October 7th. The high school principal recently said, I work with students who choose to come to school every day while facing a hard and fearful reality, he says, yet they still study together and remain friends. Sometimes they argue, sometimes they decide not to speak, but I think it's a great privilege to work somewhere that Jews and Arabs can come together during these difficult moments. We get to be quiet conspirators in God's revolution to turn things right side up. It's when Catherine, a month or so ago, our associate pastor, was able to use money from the Deacons Fund, money that you all contributed to help a mother and daughter who had no longer could stay in the tent where they'd been living because it was too cold, could help them stay in a hotel for a few more nights until they found permanent shelter and they did. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote from a Nazi prison, if we want to participate in this Advent and Christmas event, we cannot simply sit there like spectators in a theater and enjoy all of the friendly pictures. Rather, we must be like Mary and join in the action that is taking place and be drawn into the reversal of all things ourselves. How can a weary world rejoice? By singing songs of hope about what God is already doing. How can we be blessed and rejoice like Mary? By taking even the smallest parts and roles in God's work of setting things right. Then, stories of hope might be written through us. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's sermon podcast. 
We hope you'll join us for worship on Sunday morning. For more information about our congregation and our ministries, please contact the church office. Now go in peace.